Today's episode is a more intimate one, but I've felt really called to share it with you. And my hope is that it makes an impact that shifts the way you live forever. Bold statement, I know. So I recently flew home to say goodbye to my loved ones, two of them. And as death is always sad, it was some of the most clarifying and inspiring time I've experienced in a while. So today is all about what legacy really means and why oftentimes we're doing it all wrong. And I'll share a little glimpse into my time at home and why it spoke to me so deeply and share something that was not shared outside our family, but I do think it could make such an impact that I wanted to bring it here to all of you. Okay, let's get to the show. Pull up a seat to the table. You are listening to the Luminary Leadership Podcast, where we elevate successful entrepreneurs into powerful leaders doing work that really matters. After working with countless entrepreneurs, I've noticed a theme. No matter the level of success achieved, they get to this place where they're asking, now what? If you're listening to this, you get it. You're craving more impact. You want to do work that means something, and you want to be known for it, too. Somewhere along the way, it wasn't just about growing a business anymore. It became time to build your legacy. Plus, building the dream at the expense of everything else that matters, family, freedom, joy, is no dream at all. The Luminary Leadership Podcast is where industry leaders come to break through to their next level of achievement, purpose, and impact. I'm your host, Elizabeth Hartke, and I'm here to raise up this generation of leaders, us, so we can do our part in raising up the next generation of little luminaries. Get ready as we break down all things entrepreneurial leadership in a way that isn't being talked about. We both know you don't just need another strategy. It's time for your breakthrough. A eulogy can be so sobering. It's just this reminder that the end is imminent and all we have is this moment. And the culmination of moments, hopefully many of them, make up how we're remembered, the impact that we make, the legacy that we actually leave behind. So isn't it funny how much time and energy we spend on things that we wouldn't care to have captured in our eulogy? That next offer we create, or how much money we make, or the car we buy, or our social media, or how we're perceived by people we don't even know. And we keep forgetting to juxtapose those things up against the legacy we hope to create to make sure that it's aligned. But I witnessed legacy recently in a very profound way, at least that's how I'd define it, and I wanted to share that with you in the hopes that it sparks some clarity in you as to what you're really chasing and why. My grandmother, our nana as we called her, was first generation as her parents, Ma and Pa, came over from Italy, and Nana was one of 11 kids in her big Italian family. And each of them went on to have many children. My Nana had seven of her own, one of whom was my mother, and her other siblings had many as well. And we had such a blessed childhood, me, my siblings, cousins, because typically family is either just that nuclear unit, your parents and your siblings. If you're lucky, you extend out into your cousins. But I grew up in a giant Italian family that all lived within like a one mile radius of each other. And it was our siblings and parents and aunts and uncles and first cousins. And then my parents' first cousins and then their kids. And 
it was all interwoven. So Sundays were just literally a feast and a party. And during the week in the summertime, our second cousins would ride their bikes over to come swim with me and my first cousins in the pool. It was just such a blessed existence. And I don't take a single second of it for granted. And so growing up, my grandmother's siblings were like surrogate grandparents to us. She had many sisters and they would insert their opinions on our lives and help raise us up in morality and be there to support us. And even well into adulthood, we were alongside them in their years where they needed more care and more more attention and love after years of them caring for us. And it was just such a gift. So my Nana had her seven kids and my Auntie Anne had 13. Auntie Anne was Nana's sister. My Nana was the baby. And recently, in the last couple of weeks, there were two of the 11 left. My Nana passed away a couple of years ago, and I did an episode a while back on my old podcast about that, getting to sit by her bedside every single day for months on end as she came to the close of her life after a lifetime of getting to be by her side along with all of my cousins and my aunts and uncles. And after my nana passed, it was just my auntie Anne and my uncle Michael, her my nana's brother and my nana's sister. That was all that was left of that entire generation of 11 siblings. And within a day of each other, my uncle Michael passed away and then my auntie Anne was ushered home to heaven by her her big brother. So we lost that whole generation. And they were in their 90s and they lived a beautiful life and they were ready to go to heaven and they were ready to be with the rest of their siblings and their parents, ma and pa. But it was wild to say goodbye to just that great generation because there were so many lessons and so much wisdom and so much humility and hard work and just so many gifts that came through them. So I wanted to share a little bit about the experience of going to the services and how that represents legacy and how I view legacy and has me thinking so differently about how I want to live my life today with the end game in mind. So I had to think about it because I had Camp Luminary upcoming, which is our big entrepreneurial family event that we're putting on. And the week prior, the services were going to be back home out east in Massachusetts, and I live in Wisconsin. But it was such an easy yes to hop on a plane home for about 24 total hours to say goodbye to that generation. And as we walked into the church, this big church, it was the church that my grandmother grew up going to, and many of she and her siblings were married in it, and we grew up going to daily mass there with my great aunt, Auntie Anne, and Nana sometimes. And anyway, we're in the church, and... The first glimpse of true legacy happened in that initial moment as the music was playing and there was an endless stream of people coming into the church, minutes after minutes after minutes of people filing in, mostly family, because from Ma and Pa came those 11 children. And from those 11 children came countless more children. And then they had children, and now we're having children. So there were multiple generations in that church coming in all to honor the lives of that that generation. 
And to me, that captured so beautifully the idea of what true legacy is. It's not to say you have to have 13 kids like my Auntie Anne did, but it is to say that, and I'll share in some of the words from her eulogy, the capturing of what matters most and what it looks like to live in accordance with that. I feel like we come from a generation that prioritizes a lot of the wrong things and tells us to put ourselves ahead of others and to, you know, I'm all for self-care, but they're like self-care crazy and rest, rest, rest and, you know, get your business established before you start a family and all of these things. And that might be important to some, but my hope is to capture the essence of maybe a different perspective that might shift your perspective on what your legacy could stand to be. So as we stood in that church and all these streams of people came in, we got to then hear one of Auntie Anne's children share her legacy in a story. So what I'll share next is I will share clips from Auntie Anne's eulogy from one of her 13 children, and I'll break down each one and just highlight the values that I extracted from that that were so powerful for Auntie Anne's legacy. So it starts, Angela, her daughter, starts by saying, My mother was very calm, and she knew the end was near. She seemed to be at peace, but as we snuggled up to watch John Wayne in The Quiet Man, she looked at me very seriously and said, I do not want anyone to make me sound like a saint in any eulogy done at my funeral. Just say that I was lucky and that God gave me parents and brothers and sisters that I had that made me so. I was lucky that he sent your father to me, and very lucky that he let me have a wonderful life, wonderful children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. So naturally, I promised her that we would not embellish or exaggerate her life in any way, and the eulogy would just contain the unvarnished facts of her life. So here is her life in a nutshell. So that was the first kickoff of opening the door to a beautiful story of her life. And to me, the value that I see in that and a piece of her legacy that sometimes is lost in today's world is humility. There was nothing about her that wanted to be touted as a certain way, right? She didn't care about how she was being represented. She didn't want to be seen as a saint. She didn't want to be glorified on the altar. She lived a humble existence and she wanted that to be captured. And her legacy to her was not anything about her. It was her family. It was about what she was leaving behind. And that humility was captured right off the bat with Auntie Anne putting her foot down. And it was funny hearing that because I could hear my grandmother saying something so similar to her sister. And then Angela continues. She was born on November 26, 1924, at home on Elm Street in Lawrence. She was the ninth of what would soon become 11 children of Michael and Angela Grillo Manzi and was baptized Anna Maria here in the church. So the first piece, just to pause for a second on the eulogy, this is something that's lost today. Part of who we are is who we come from, right? The legacy of our family. And sitting in that church, that's all I could play over and over and over again in my mind was, it's not about me. It's about the history of all of it. We lose our roots now because it's all about me culture and the nuclear family of just the parents and just the kids. And we lose the generations of history and story and the heartbeat of where it all started. 
So a piece of the legacy that I noticed in that eulogy was capturing that, that it wasn't just about Auntie Anne. Even in her celebration of her life, it was also who she came from and who she was and where she was from. And that piece, I never want to be lost in my family. I talk to my kids all the time about our heritage and where we come from and the people that we come from and how it's so much bigger than us and such a beautiful piece of our our legacy. And then she continues, she had six sisters and four brothers and she didn't just love them, she adored them. She never tired of telling us wonderful stories about growing up. Her parents and siblings were loving, kind, generous, and supportive of each other, and God help anyone outside the family who criticized them in her presence. So in that section, it really just captures the essence of family and that unity, that bond. And I have personally witnessed and experienced exactly what that last line captures of God help anyone outside the family who criticized them in her presence because That was something that was always so strong in our family still is, is that bond and that loyalty to each other and let no one break that bond, right? We protect each other. We protect each other's reputations and honor. And it's just such a beautiful piece of legacy and just the love for siblings and parents and respect for each other and care for each other that it just deepens the meaning of family to me. So Angela continues, while a student at Holy Rosary Grammar School, she had a teacher who picked on her, and my mother was deathly afraid of this woman. Well, Uncle Bill, that's Auntie Anne's older brother, heard about it, went down to the school, had a quiet word with this teacher, and my mother never had a problem with her again. And it was Uncle Bill and Uncle Albert who struck a deal with Emanuel College that enabled her and Auntie Sophie, my Auntie Anne's other sister, who ended up becoming a nun, to pay their tuition in arrears. They went to school, they worked the summers at the mill jobs that Auntie Flora, their other sister, had gotten them to pay their tuition. So that little piece is so cool to me because it just shows the teamwork of family. All those siblings looking out for each other, whether it was Uncle Bill going to the school and probably threatening Auntie Anne's teacher to stop picking on her. Or when it was time for Auntie Anne to go to school, but she couldn't afford tuition, Uncle Bill and Uncle Albert, her two older brothers, going to Emmanuel College and helping them work out a deal where she could cover her tuition in a different form. And then Auntie Flora, her other older sister, getting her jobs back in the factories and in the mills to help them pay off that tuition. It's just this interconnected beauty of teamwork. And I've experienced that time and time again in our extended family. And sometimes I I admit I take that for granted because I know that not all families operate that way. And one thing I want to mention in case you're feeling kind of bad, if you don't have a big extended family or you feel like you don't have that beyond that unit because maybe your family's disconnected or you had a different childhood, I honor that and I hear that. There are ways you can create those multi-generational bonds and connections, and let it start with you. The way you raise your children, maybe you're the beginning of a legacy to come, right? Maybe you're ma and pa, right? Maybe you are the first generation of people choosing to do it differently. So this isn't a knock on anyone that doesn't have that family extension. Be the beginning of it. Be the start of that legacy. Auntie Anne's daughter, Angela, continues, one day the doorbell rang and my mother opened the door to find my father standing there. Auntie Sophie, her older sister, always said, 
with that Auntie Sophie laugh, that my mother didn't have to go out and look for a husband. God just sent this nice Roman Catholic St. Patrick's lad from South Lawrence right to her door. They married in 1951 and eventually settled into a two-bedroom apartment in South Lawrence. Two-bedroom is relevant. Stay with me here. My grandmother and my aunt occupied one floor, and we were on the other floor. And they had six children in that two-bedroom apartment. It was a tight fit. Tommy, Dennis, Raymond, and I were in two sets of bunk beds in one room, and Joey was in a crib, and Michael was in a cradle, both in my parents' bedroom. To me, this captures the essence of love and fortitude. It's like we complain about everything, right? When we have a baby, we've got the sound machines and the swaddles and the bottle warmer and the wipe warmer so their butt doesn't get cold. And these people had six babies in a two-bedroom apartment without complaint. And it's just like, to me, like, give me more of that fortitude. I will tell you, as I listened to the eulogy, the same thought rattled through my brain. Oh my God, I'm such a freaking wimp. I have to man up. I look at my grandmother and her strength. I look at her sisters and their strength and their brothers. It's like we come from the wimp generation and it's up to us to, to instill more of that, that fortitude and that strength and that resilience and just that go after it attitude. And my guess too is they didn't have the money to have six kids, right? You don't base your family on money. You base it on that love and and your courage and and confidence that you're going to figure it out together through that love and that fortitude. And then it continues, the bottom seven children, you know, because they had six and then they had seven more, were born on Prospect Street. And it's worth noting that my mother surprisingly really enjoyed being with us. But to raise 13 children, even passably well, and to maintain your sanity, you need more than a love for children. You must be strong physically, mentally, and emotionally. And finally, you must be willing to put yourself last. And my mother did just that. It is not for the weak or faint of heart. Man, how counterculture is that? (laughs) The idea of putting yourself last. How often do we hear, you know, put the mask on for yourself on the plane when it drops down before somebody else? And I understand the principle of it. You can't serve others from an empty cup. But the next section that I want to highlight is how Auntie Anne filled her cup so that she was able to put her children first and her family first while still having the strength to do it. So the next piece, Angela continues and says, well, where did my mother get this strength and love from? Number one, her faith in God and her devotion to the Blessed Mother. This is huge. I don't know what your faith is. I don't know, you know, what you believe. Uh, but I know from my own personal experience and from witnessing people like Auntie Anne raising 13 kids or my grandmother raising seven or my aunt having seven, it's just like you have to pull your strength from something that is not worldly. You're not going to get it. There's no amount of freaking baths and massages and self-care that's going to give you the strength you need and the fortitude you need to live out this type of legacy. It has to come from something divine. It has to come from something so much bigger and more powerful than you. So when she says she put herself last, it's not like in this self-deprecating or fall on the sword martyrdom kind of way. It's from, I have a faith strong enough that it fills me up and spills out into those I serve. The second thing, her family. This is where having that multi-generational family is so 
beautiful and so powerful. Growing up, I wasn't just raised by my parents. I spent equal amounts of time at my grandparents' house, and then I was with my aunts and uncles, and I was alongside my cousins. We leaned into each other, and and Auntie Anne did the same. It says Ma, Pa, and her brothers and sisters, they lifted each other up. They were right there alongside each other. They lived above and below each other in the apartments because they could fill in those gaps. That's really how it was intended when you look back generationally. But now we obsess over this idea of the nuclear family, and it's like cut everybody else out, and you're just this unit. But what if instead you leaned into family And again, if you don't have it, start it. Be the ones to start it. And family can go beyond blood, right? Family can be the village that you create. And finally, she said, where she also sourced her strength, is my dad, meaning Auntie Anne's husband, Uncle Ray. Really the perfect partner because he also had a deep faith in God and the physical and mental strength to handle raising such a brood. They were each other's strength and they complemented each other beautifully. And then she goes on to talk about how her house was welcoming to everyone, friends, neighbors, cousins, and whoever happened to walk through the door, which is such a testament to Auntie Anne because, and her legacy because she already had 13 freaking kids to take care of, and yet she was still opening her door and, and leaving room at the table for others to, to be a part of the beauty of her home and the legacy that she created. This is my favorite section because it's funny and it's also crazy, and it just makes me realize that you know, I'm a total weenie with my three kids and one on the way thinking that I've got it tough. It says, of course, it wasn't all fun and games. Windows were broken, messes were made, and there were multiple trips to an emergency room. Tommy, Dennis, and I had our stomachs pumped when we got into St. Joseph's aspirin because it tasted like candy. Dennis got hit by a car, not once, but twice. Christopher got hit by a car. Patrick took a header out of the second story bathroom window. Raymond got hit in the head with a bat while playing baseball. And oh yeah, Dennis climbed a tree, not realizing there was a huge hive of yellow jackets or hornets. And needless to say, he got stung pretty badly. Through it all, my mother always remained calm. Dennis recalls that when Christopher got hit by the car and was rushed to the hospital, Christopher met my mother in the driveway when she returned from doing errands and breathlessly explained what happened. She didn't panic or break down. She gently told Janice to step away from the car, not to worry, and off she went to the hospital. I hear that and I laugh because I think of what it must have been like to have all those kids and all that crazy but still keep her calm and her cool. And to me, that's a representation of leadership, That's her leadership, not just like being a leader, but developing those leadership skills, right? Um, Calm and ownership. In the face of a challenge, you look for solutions. You don't panic. Uh, You're able to keep your people calm and lead them well. It's just such a beautiful picture of what leadership can look like, even in your own home. I think sometimes we think of leadership from a business perspective, but there's so much more to it. And Auntie Anne clearly had that gift. And it continues, now, just to feed, clothe, and see our day-to-day needs was an enormous undertaking. Two cases of milk plus a couple of extra bottles were delivered every other day, and a few dozen eggs were also delivered, I think about twice a week, in addition to almost daily trips to the grocery store. Her washing machine never stopped, and she would pull an all-nighter at least once a week just to catch up on laundry and ironing. Often, she went to the laundromat and took over five machines. This part right here is a lost art, and it's called finding a way. It's called having grit. It's called 
just getting it done. And I think sometimes we approach life with this lack mindset or weighing how it makes us feel instead of leaning into the discipline of what's going to get us to the other side. Feelings are important. They need to be addressed. I'm sure that this great generation could have used a few lessons from us in how to feel their feelings. But at the same time, we can certainly take note of how they leaned less into their emotions to determine whether or not they were going to do the thing required of them and more so into the discipline and the grit to get it done. And it's not easy. I think sometimes, too, we we assume things are going to be easy for us. We assume something should feel easier. But is easy really the goal? Is easy the path forward? Is easy what's going to get us into the life that we feel called to live? And finally, she closes with, when you think of that group, part of the greatest generation, they all had that same crazy superpower as my mother. They loved God and family. They recognized God's presence in every person. They worked hard without complaining and knew what was important. We were all so very fortunate to be a part of such an incredible family, and we can never forget that. I listened to this whole thing, and there are many more parts, but I I didn't want to include all of it. Just tears rolling down my face, but feeling such, uh, so inspired, so clear on, on what I'm called to and where I come from and where I'm going and what legacy really looks like. We get it twisted. We get it so twisted. And the part where she says, you know, they knew what was important. That is so true. It was family. It was family and everything else revolved around that. They were a team. They were connected. They loved each other. And that love poured out of their family into the lives of other people because that church was not just filled with family. That church was filled with people, countless people outside of the family who were touched by Auntie Anne and Uncle Michael and the other people from that great generation who wanted to be there to honor that same legacy. I think sometimes about, you know, my clients my social media following, the people who someday read the book I write, they won't be getting up at my funeral and sharing their heart on what they thought of me. My children will, my family will, my husband will. I don't want to spend the most formative years of our relationships, the relationships that actually matter, chasing a reputation perceived by the wrong crowd first. At Camp Luminary recently, we asked the parents, the entrepreneurs who were in attendance to write that if they passed away tomorrow, how their clients would describe them. And then, the same note, if they passed away tomorrow, how their kids would speak of them. And it was very humbling for many of them because they're in a season of growth in their business and a season of someday in their family. I don't want my clients to rave about me, but my children to rattle off that wish list of what they wish they had received from me because we never got to that point. Or to hear my clients' stories about me, my kids to hear clients talk about me, right? Or, or, People who knew me talk about me and wonder who the heck they're even talking about because they didn't get my best. So I share all of this in the hopes that you can formulate and craft what, what is that legacy for you? What would that look like? Who would be spilling into that church and what would they be saying? What's the heartbeat of what really matters and what are you willing to sacrifice and let go of and who are you willing to become to live it today to ensure that it's true? Because we don't know when our legacy officially kicks off. We don't know our, our timelines. But I know that there have been many times over the years that I've had it backwards and I've had it twisted. And those were two of the most inspiring days that I have personally experienced. And I had to share it with you. I know you didn't know my family, but my hope is that I could capture the essence of a vision for your legacy and what you're creating and what you're leaving behind. 
this spoke to you, please feel free to share it. Please leave us a review. Thank you so much for tuning in and letting me share my heart with you guys. And until next time, we'll talk soon. I hope today's episode gave you exactly what you needed. And if it spoke to you, please leave us a review and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on the next juicy episode. And don't be shy. I don't bite often. So come connect with me over on Instagram at Eliz Hartkey. And if there's a topic or a question, a guest you want to hear on the show or an idea you have for us, just reach out and share your thoughts. We do this for you. So the more you tell us, the more we can serve. Thank you for spending some time with me. I really do appreciate you. So tune in next time to keep building that legacy and doing the work that really matters.